Greetings, comrades, and welcome back to another episode of the Comrade Cast. I uh, don't have a lot of time to record today, but I figured it's better to put an episode out that might be shorter rather than try and cram a bunch of crap into a longer episode next week. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right into things. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the report which dropped over the weekend by uh, Special Counsel Robert Kerr on Joe Biden's handling of classified documents. And then beyond that, I want to spend most of the episode talking about the situation in Ukraine. What happened is basically that the top military commander in Ukraine was recently replaced by Zelensky. So I want to take some time to talk about what's going on there, why that happened, and what that bodes for the future. I'm going to jump right into things here. We're going to talk a little bit about the state of the race. Right now, things are actually looking better than when I checked a couple days ago. Right now, we got Trump plus 1.2 a couple days ago. This was grim. I've never seen anything this bad. This is Trump plus 4.3%. That's grim, <laughs> really grim. But over the last couple of weeks or so, things have narrowed. However, this is not really taking into account the report, which dropped on the 8th, I believe. So we don't have a lot of data as to how that might affect the polling prospects of Joe Biden. I'll give you guys the cliff notes here real, real fast which is that over the weekend, special counsel Robert Hur dropped a report on Joe Biden's handling of classified documents. This report said that while Joe Biden isn't going to be charged, the reason we're not going to charge him is because he's basically like a forgetful old man who no jury would ever convict on the basis of doing anything maliciously evil. He's basically a old man with poor memory that can't really remember what's going on anymore. This report honestly was really grim. It had segments where we're talking about he couldn't remember his time as vice president, couldn't even remember stuff like his son dying. It was bad. And while Biden might escape legal trouble for this, political trouble is certainly a different story because this report effectively reemphasizes all the narratives and all the issues that people had with the guy basically since he started running in the first place which are his age and his ability to remember what's going on. Because time and time again, the number one issue people cite with Joe Biden is his age. And it's a serious issue. The guy's 81 years old. Personally, I, I think, I know some people may disagree with me. Personally, I think we should have some sort of age cap on the office of presidency. I don't know. That's just me. But it certainly gets to the point where people wonder, what the hell are you doing, man? You're so old that... You should be hanging out, man. You should be chilling. You should be enjoying the last moments and years of your life and comfort surrounded by loved ones. But I digress. The important part here is that people, by and large, believe that Joe Biden is too old to run for president. They question his mental capabilities. And this report basically adds the ultimate ammo to everybody who ever questioned his mental capabilities and if he is too old to actually run for office of the presidency. So long story short, I think this is extremely politically damaging for Biden, so much so that this might actually be the nail in the coffin where people are like, we need a replacement. Of course, the main question is, where is this replacement going to come from? To be fair, I am less so concerned about that because we are in an era where both Biden and Trump are extremely unpopular, that you put up a generic Democrat against Donald Trump, their chances of winning increase significantly just because they have no baggage. And of course, the opposite is true for Joe Biden. 
you put a generic republic up against generic republican up against joe biden they severely trounce his ass it's a race to the bottom with incredibly unpopular candidates so as i was saying it doesn't matter hugely who they decide to replace him with the only replacement that might be worse amazingly is his vice president kamala harris although i do think at this point kamala do better than biden uh, i don't know i'm not comfortable that she would be trump but I'm pretty comfortable that she would do better than Biden at this point. But I wish I had shared this with you guys earlier, but I was talking with a friend, and this was like a month ago, and he is much more of the conspiracy-minded type of thinking. And he gave me this conspiracy theory that he believes is well, this is what's going to happen for the Democratic Party. And of course, being a conspiracy-minded person, he tends to be more right-leaning. That being said, this was his conspiracy theory that he pitched to me. And now I'm pitching to you guys because I definitely think there's some plausibility here. So basically, his conspiracy theory is what's going to happen is old Joe, he's puttering up to the stage to make a speech or something like that. And as he's just about to take the podium, he falls and he's fallen and he can't get up. And as Kamala Harris rushes in to try and pick him up and nurse Joe Biden up, Michelle Obama comes out of the woodwork pushes Kamala Harris aside and then Michelle Obama picks up Joe Biden withered on the floor and she says I can't carry the office Joe but I can carry you basically the theory here is that Kamala will get skunked she'll get tanked at some point and they will move in Michelle Obama or some sort of stand-in as a vice president and then see doodle Joe Biden will take a tumble or something like that, be unable to run, and then you have now gotten your new Democratic candidate up in front of the people and not have to worry about any of that sticky Democratic process or any of that crap. So that, I think, is very possible. People have been like asking, how could Joe Biden be replaced this late in the game? That's how. He says, I can't run for whatever reason, steps down. Then his vice presidential candidate takes the four. And in this case, we would dump Kamala. That's the big thing, I think, to look for in the future. Are they going to dump Kamala Harris? Because if they do, that's a very keen indication that they intend to move somebody else into that position and run for president. So long story short, I just wanted to touch on this. Again, I don't think it's looking good for Biden, but we do have quite a long time to the general election. But if things don't start turning around for Joe now, I think it's pretty unlikely that he is going to be able to turn things around as we get closer to the end of the year. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's talk about what I really want to talk about today, which is the war in Ukraine and the recent rearrangement of the Ukrainian military staff and the sacking of their top commander. So just to give you guys a look again, we're using the, the deep state map here. I really like their map. It's probably the cleanest and most easy to navigate of any of the Ukraine war maps. Plus, I love that they have very clearly indicated just about everything that you could want to see on a map. You can see even armies deployed in Russian territory, along with, of course, Russian counters along the border. The main thrust of the fighting is still around Andrivka here. And since we last checked, things are looking really grim. Uh, yeah, not going to lie, it looks like the Russians have pretty much overtaken the north and have, by and large, cut off all 
supplies. It, it's looking really grim. There is only one road right now. And I'll just use the little marker here so you can see what I mean here. Yeah, there's just one road. This is a major artery. This is all that's left to supply Andreevka right now. And it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. And I do expect that this city will fall. I'm not sure how long it's going to take. A couple weeks. Unfortunately, I, I do think that, as we talked about last time, we talked about the battle here around Andreevka. I do think that the city will fall eventually. And looking at the map right now, it's looking like it might happen sooner rather than later. Fortunately, though, all along the rest of the line, Ukrainians are holding firm. Russians have tried to attack all up and down the line over these last winter months and have pretty much been repelled in every single area except around Andreevka. Things were looking grim here around some of the gains around Robotnye, but it looks like the Ukrainians held firm here. It still looks like Ukrainians are holding the line, but that's what we, one of the things we need to talk about today is that as this war transitions to a much more attritional-based style of combat, Ukraine is going to need much more guarantees over a longer period of time that they're going to continue to get the supplies they need. Right now, Ukrainians are struggling on virtually every front for supplies, but the main thing that is really holding them back is supplies of artillery ammunition. One of the things that has been much talked about is that Russia has recently received an influx of ammunition from North Korea and will continue to receive ammunition from North Korea. This large influx is what has allowed the Russians to start to make some offensive gains in the recent weeks. And of course, the reason is that now that you have artillery pieces that could only fire five times a day, now they can fire 10 times a day. Just by having more ammunition, the Russians have effectively doubled their effective fire capacity. <laughs> Maybe doubled is a little bit too hyperbolic, but you understand what I'm trying to say here. Just by taking away that ammunition constraint, you increase the firepower of your army. And unfortunately for Ukraine, they're in the reverse, where they have to consider conserving their artillery shells much more than the Russians do. And in kind of a broader perspective, one of the things I think that this war has really done is showed just how completely ineffective Western militaries are to stand up to some sort of prolonged combat. That is with a, another country which has the capacity for much more conventional and industrialized warfare. Of course, you could have prolonged combat in a place like Afghanistan as a Western military. But now if there were a circumstance where countries like France and Germany and the UK had to deploy hundreds of thousands of infantry to a battlefield or some sort of combat scenario, I am skeptical that they could do it. The nice thing, though, is that this war has definitely revealed that weakness, and we can see that at least some uh, Western countries are starting to adjust their military spending. One in particular is Germany, although you never really want to see the headline Germany massively increasing military spending. Usually when that happens, bad things are in store for the world. But Germany being the standout because they have spent the most amount on their rearm. But not just but not just Germany, France, the UK, 
and to a smaller extent, some countries like Italy and Spain are also beginning to rearm their militaries and increase their local defense production. These are, of course, good things in case we did need to fight some sort of prolonged conventional warfare in the future. But now I want to talk about the tale of two generals here, where we have a new shakeup in the Ukrainian command structure. So let me introduce you to our original military commander. So let me introduce you guys to the original top dog, the top dog before the new guy. And you guys have probably seen this fella around the internet before. Of course, we have Valery Zaluzhny. Zaluzhny was the top dog for the Ukrainian armed forces pretty much since the war kicked off almost two years. Yeah, fuck, almost two years ago. It will be two years by the end of the month. Amazing. I can't believe it's been two years that this is that this conflict has been happening. Anyway, since the conflict kicked off, Zaluzhny has been the top dog for the Ukrainian military. And by all accounts, he's done an absolutely exemplary job. The guy has been given credit for Ukraine holding the line in those first initial stages of the Russian invasion. He has been given credit for basically not letting the Ukrainian army collapse and giving the country over to the Russians. And since then, he's orchestrated a number of extremely key military victories for the Ukrainian armed forces, obviously or orchestrating the liberation of Kherson, orchestrating the liberation of Kharkiv, and doing this all while maintaining, at least from reports I'm reading from Ukrainian soldiers, a very strong and close relationship with his men. Zaluzhny's leadership style is a belief that a general should be like a father to his soldiers. He believes that he needs to be that steadfast guide to show his people the way, show his soldiers the way during times of crisis. And because of this type of attitude, he's extremely popular among not just the troops of Ukraine, but the people as well. So it comes as quite a surprise to many that over the weekend, Zaluzhny was replaced by Zelensky with a, another individual. And there is a lot going on here that we don't know. There is a lot of speculation as well. So unfortunately, a lot of what I have to give you guys is going to be speculation. But before we talk about the next guy, I want to cover the speculation as to why I think he was moved out. The main reason I think is that there has been some reports that Zaluzhny and Zelensky have had some issues and some tensions in the past. One thing that Zaluzhny is very famous for is, again, a more kind of flexible, hands-off uh, leadership style, and also being willing to adapt to conditions on the battlefield. So, for example, during the counteroffensive, Zaluzhny was uh, in command during that time, and Initially, he saw that these kind of armored pushes, you know, getting together these Western armored vehicle thrusts and trying to push them into Russian lines was not going to be effective. So he very quickly changed tactics to a more stop and start artillery type of grinding warfare, which we have seen in the past and has been effective. Unfortunately for Zelensky, this isn't so much what he wanted. I think Zelensky is feeling a lot of pressure right now. Uh, particularly from his Western allies, to 
show something, to show some sort of gains on the battlefield, to show uh, that Ukraine is able to significantly defeat Russia still and gain its territory back. And without that, I feel like he thinks, and maybe this is realistic, that it's going to be harder and harder to secure support for Ukraine. So when he has a commander who he believes isn't doing enough to achieve the kind of political objectives that he needs, eventually I think he is going to try and find someone else who he believes might be able to enact his will better. And that brings us to Zeluzhny's replacement, which is a man by the name of Alexander Sirsky. And Sirsky is an older fella, and he has been basically the number two since the war began. And he, and he himself also has quite a few victories under his belt, he being the predominant commander in the Kharkiv Offensive and the liberation of territory there. But there are some severe differences between these two men, both in their style and their demeanor. Sirsky is seen as more of a brown noser amongst the men, more of a suit, more of a guy on the inside who will do what is necessary to secure his own ass and secure his own political advancement. So in comparison to Zeluzhny, who has that kind of more egalitarian, stronger rapport with his soldiers, Sirsky, on the other hand, is much more of a by-the-books, behind-the-scenes kind of guy. And the kind of guy is also seen as not someone who is going to be a soldier's soldier. The kind of guy who's seen to be more of a political figure. And to be fair, much of this may not be warranted, right? This is what I can gather is his perception amongst Ukrainian soldiers from the reports that I've read, from the comments that I've read. This guy seems to definitely be nowhere near as popular amongst the troops as Illusioni. Not only that, this guy's also not as popular amongst the people as Illusioni was. And that brings us to another sort of ripple in this equation, which is, did Zeluzhny have some sort of political ambitions that may have spooked Zelensky, which caused him to remove him from his position? Personally, I think no, certainly in the short term. In the medium to long term, who knows, right? Who knows what could happen after the war? Or, for example, if the war were continued to uh, drag, and this could certainly happen still, Zeluzhny could come out and say the way Zelensky is conducting this war is not right. If he gave me full reins to do what I wanted, then we could wrap this up lickety split. So therefore, you should give me more power and more command and control over what's going on the ground. And that, oh, no, that turns into me having more power over the state itself. Oh, wow. Who would have seen that coming? Do I see something like that as a possibility? Yeah, anything is possible in the future. The one scenario you always have to watch out, right, is once the chips start to get down, once things start to look really bad, which we're not at that scenario yet, let me say that we're not at that scenario yet, it could be very possible that there starts to be some infighting and then a general starts to say, hey, put me in charge and I can cut through all this bureaucratic nonsense, cut through all this political nonsense and get the job done. That is certainly a possibility if the war continues and goes poorly. But another thing that Sirsky is seen as in comparison to Zeluzhny 
is that Sierski is seen as the kind of guy who will get the order done no matter what. Sierski is significantly older than, than Zaluzhny. He's about 15 years older, I believe. And he definitely seems to come from more of that Soviet old school style of command, that more top-down structure rather than that more kind of flat and egalitarian structure. And a big issue is that he is not seen as being as sympathetic to the troops and as caring as much about the troops' lives as Illusiony. In fact, he has been offhand referred to as the butcher by some Ukrainian soldiers due to his lack of care for his soldiers' lives. There were many reports during the Kharkiv offensive that Sirsky would rush in reserves that were clearly untrained, clearly not ready for battle, just to get the job done type of thing. And this, to me, I think is the real crux of why Sirsky is now the commander, because he is seen as the kind of guy who will get the president's orders done no matter what. He's not going to deviate too much from the orders that he's given. He is going to try and use what he has to get those orders done. So, whereas Zeluzhny in take the uh, counteroffensive last summer, seeing that these armored spearheads probably not going to work changes tactics. Sierski, on the other hand, probably wouldn't change tactics. He would be more concerned with getting the objectives done. Damn the expense. And I think given the political realities that Zelensky is probably facing right now in securing aid for Ukraine, and securing continued support from the international community, I think he is really wanting to have somebody who will follow his orders and do what it need and do what needs to get done, at least in his mind, to secure some big W's to be able to get that support. So this is why I think the guy is getting the nod as the new general, is because he won't deviate from a plan. He's going to get an order from Zelensky. And he's going to do the order. Whereas with Zeluzhny, that order might get reinterpreted in a manner that at least he believes is more effective for what is necessary on the ground. And then combine that with the fact that apparently these two generals are also at odds for what the order of battle should be in 2024. Zeluzhny, the guy who was replaced, wants to take a more defensive posture and uh, commit to a general mobilization of the Ukrainian population, where Sierski, on the other hand, is much more of an offensive-prone commander. He has been arguing for more offensive plans this year. In addition, he seems to be a lot softer on the concept of having a general mobilization or conscription for Ukraine, which to me seems like a weird position to have. If you are a more offensive-minded commander, but stands to reason you're going to sustain more casualties in offensive battles, therefore you're going to need more replacements, therefore you're more likely going to need a general mobilization, versus if you're fighting a defensive style of warfare, you're not going to sustain as many casualties, less likely to need those replacements. But again, I think that there is some political calculations here where... Zelensky is worried that if he goes forward with a general mobilization, I think he's worried that there may be some political ramifications for that. I'm not in the mind of the Ukrainian people. I don't know for sure, 
But personally, I think that is not the attitude to have right now. And I really don't think that that is the attitude of most Ukrainians. I do think that most Ukrainians see this as a fight for their survival. And if they need to commit to a general mobilization, they'll commit to it. And if there was any time that the people would understand the need for a mass mobilization, a mass general mobilization, now would be the time. So I don't think he will take as much political damage as he thinks he will. And I do think that it's definitely going to be necessary to keep pace with Russia, who is now able to put, I believe, by most estimates, 130,000 troops into the field per month. So every month right now, the Russian army is getting an additional 130,000 new recruits into Ukraine, whereas right now the Ukrainian reserves are not as deep because they're still relying basically on volunteers. Unfortunately, this comes in every war that the time for volunteering is over. If we want to keep this thing going, uh, we're going to need to tell people to get into uniform. And I definitely think that Ukraine is at that point right now. But now with this, but now with this shakeup, it seems less likely that there is going to be some sort of general mobilization which in my opinion is, again, not the right move. I think that there needs to be a general mobilization in Ukraine. Again, we're talking about the Russians being able to continually reinforce their lines. But not only that, right, if you commit to this general mobilization now, we're still going to have three, four months before these people actually get the training and the equipment to get into the field, right? It's not like the moment you call for a general mobilization bam, everybody's there ready to go. No, you need time to get people into the field to train them and equip them. So Ukraine needs to start on that process yesterday, in my opinion, not sit around and kick the can around and decide whether or not they're actually going to commit to a general mobilization. So to wrap this up, to wrap this little let's tale of two generals up, personally, I am a little bit worried by this move. I hate to like knock the guy before he even really gets a chance to actually get into the commander's chair and assess the situation and do what he needs to do. I'm just worried that given his track record, given his reputation, and given what people on the ground think of him, he's going to have a very difficult task ahead of himself. That being said, of course, I wish the new commander all the best. And I do hope that he has uh, something up his sleeve <laughs> that um, he hasn't been telling us or that he hasn't been talking about because I really don't see what in the short term he can do to improve things over what Zaluzhny has done. We're really not going to see the effects of his command until months down the road. But if I were to guess, this move suggests that Ukraine is planning some sort of major counteroffensive in that spring summer arena and this time i think it's going to be bigger and bolder than the last one that's just my that that's just my speculation overall replacing your commander is never a good look that being said the russians went through what was it four or five <laughs> commanders at the start of the war before they figured out something that actually worked so sometimes a shakeup in leadership is actually a good thing and it can yield good results particularly if things aren't going very well. And I don't think that things aren't going that well for Ukraine. The only issue I really see for Ukraine is what it's going to take to, of course, do some sort of counteroffensive and take 
back the occupied land. Right now, they seem to be able to hold the line pretty well. I don't think that the army is in any shape or is in any danger of collapsing or just falling apart or the Russians making some sort of sizable breakthrough. I don't think any of that is in the cards in the near future. So I'm not saying that Ukraine's situation is dire or anything like that. But I'm saying they're in that position where they need to be the one to make the moves, right? They can't be the one so much to sit back and react. And because of that, I think this is why we're seeing uh, new commanders and new leadership being brought into the Ukrainian army. Given the stalemate nature of this conflict, I do worry that there are going to be some rumblings from the Western allies that maybe it's time to work out some kind of ceasefire or deal or in some way or another wrap this thing up. And I really hope that doesn't happen because right now I don't see any kind of ceasefire deal that is advantageous to Ukraine. I feel like if Russia got some ceasefire deal, they would happily take it and then spend whatever time it needed to taking the lessons from the initial Ukraine war, retooling their army, refitting their army, and then four years down the road, they're going to make another push. And even if the Russians didn't intend to do that, why would you ever trust them as the Ukrainians? Why would you ever trust them not to do that if you were Ukraine, right? You would never, ever trust them as a neighbor ever again. You would never have good or you'll never have good or warm relations ever again. It's always going to be total hatred, total hostility. So Ukraine's got to hold on at least another year, I think. If they can hold on another year, we'll be looking at another need for probably some sort of general mobilization in Russia. And that's going to be very politically unpopular. And if things continue, you're only going to need to get more and more from the Russian people, which is only going to make this war continually unpopular. The only reason that Russia has been able to sustain this war at the rate that it has is because it has amazingly, since at least the kind of initial massive disruptions, now that's over, they've managed to keep this war out of the lives of average ordinary Russians pretty much for the last two years. Again, ever since things kicked off and they lost access to the swift banking and McDonald's left and stuff like that. Now all that crap. So the disturbances right now for the average, average Russian have effectively come to an end. But if those start to kick up again, well, then Putin gets himself into a more precarious political uh, position. And with that, I have officially run out of time. It's probably going to be the shortest episode. Again, it's probably better to have a short episode rather than try and save everything and cram it into a giant one next week. I was hoping to have a more in-depth talk on some of like the tactics in Ukraine and do a little bit of a review of some of the things that I've said in regards to how this war will pan out at the beginning of it. But unfortunately, I just didn't have time to do that today. Maybe next week, considering that I believe, no, next week be the one-year anniversary, but uh, be the week after. Either way, the, that is in the cards, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to it today. So with that, I want to thank you guys for watching. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This has been the Comrade signing off for now. Until next time, guys, take care.